the purpose of repentance is basically to keep God happy so he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers. God, I change my mind. I'm going to choose you and not sin because I want you to bless me and give me stuff. We treat God like that all the time, and we're, I raise my kids to believe that. If you do good, I'm going to give you something good. We were raised that way. If, if we eat all of our vegetables, we get candy, and we treat repentance as the same way. God, if we do what you tell us to, if we say that we're sorry for doing something, then you'll reward us. But repentance is not sorrow. It's about a changing of the mind. Keller continues, but in the gospel, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ. It's to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ. And think about this changing the mind in this respect. Our minds are bent towards sin, and we are deceived by thinking that sin is going to gratify us and give us hope and give us peace and give us fulfillment, and we are deceived in that and wind up with death. We'll talk about that at the end tonight when we, we look at Romans. That it, it directs us, deceivingly so, to sin. And we change our mind to understand that sin is not going to please us, not going to leave us fulfilled and with life and with peace and with hope. Instead, only He is. So we place that understanding in this Repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of Christ instead of tapping into the the deceived perception that joy is found in gratifying our flesh. Does that make sense? That's the point to help us to understand first, understanding what repentance is and what its purpose is. Repentance is a change of mind. Its purpose is to, to repeatedly tap into the joy of, and fulfillment of you. The second thing for us to talk about tonight. Understand the need to continually repent. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 Theses uh, to the Wittenberg Cathedral wall, the first words in that most important document in the, the Reformation of the church was this. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is for the Reformation of the church. Church as we know it today would not be the same if... Luther hadn't studied and connected and, and done all that he did, and he begins his, his most important document with these words, that all of life is repentance. Dave and I have, have been hitting on this a lot in the last few months, that we think our conversion experience is a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Yes, we've been converted. Okay, now we're done. Let's go do something else. This concept, what Luther understood, and what we need to understand is that this Understanding of, of repentance is more than just a one-time salvific experience. Okay, I've repented of my sins. Instead, it's something we need to be beating into our heads continually over and over and over and over again. It's like a dandelion in a flower bed that continues to come up. Jen and I cleaned out our front flower beds a couple of weeks ago. and We, we dug out by the roots. We tried to get as deep as I could, and I kind of got corrected. You're not getting deep enough. You're just pulling the weed out. And then... The weed comes up like three days later. Yep, you're right, Jen. I didn't get the root. So we got to get the root out. But even if you get the root out, another one's going to pop up someplace else because that's just repentance is like that. We are, we're, it's like picking dandelions. You're never going to complete it. There's always going to be dandelions in your flower bed. To disappoint you. And I'm sorry to, to have a really kind of 
cheesy analogy there, but it's true. George Whitefield. Uh, George Whitefield was uh, a preacher in England in the mid-1700s, uh, very uh, influential figure in the Methodist Church, one of the founders along with the Wesley Brothers of the Methodist Church, and uh, a, a big influencer in the Great Awakening, and really an influencer here in the colonies in, uh, like just before 1776, like the 1750s when uh, the, the colonials were coming over and all that. He was very influential in that. Uh, George Whitefield understood this idea the need for regular repentance. Each, each night, he did a deep inventory of himself. Every night, George Whitefield would stop, go to his room, candlelight, and stop and think through the day's events and think through his interaction with man, think through his interaction with God, and he would pray and journal these words. God, give me a deep humility and a burning love a well-guided zeal and a single eye, and then let men and devils do their worst. Every night, George Whitefield, this is, if you're looking for a way to repent and how to repent, what to do every night, this is a great thing. God, would you stop me thinking about myself? Would you connect my heart? That's what humility means, is stopping yourself from being focused on only yourself and more on other people. God, would you allow me to do that? And would you allow me to reflect on my day and what I did and and what happened in my day where I was self-centered and self-focused? Give me this humility. Give me a burning love. Those two things come together. We prayed earlier tonight about, God, would you allow us to be rooted and established in love and loving other people? And it's a, a vital aspect for us to understand what love means. It's a vital aspect for us to understand how to operate as a church, to be filled with, with humility, thinking of others before ourselves. And that's the 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 heart of love. Greater love has no man than this. He would lay down his life for his friends. We are to be laying down our lives for our friends. And this is something that we are not naturally wanting to do, is to, to have this humility, to have this burning love. We have to, to continue to beat it into our heads. And that's what repentance means. We're changing our mind to, to focus on the self and changing it to focus on others and focus on God. This is what George Whitefield knew and he understood, and every night he would pray these prayers and and walk through this journal experience. And he also wanted a well-guided zeal and a single eye. And then after that, he says, and then let men and devils do their work. We'll continue as we look into Scripture tonight about how this world is filled with affections and influence on our flesh. Satan is roaming through the world seeking whom he may devour, so that we will be affected by his deceit. And we, you and I, are filled with sin, and we rub up against each other and cause each other to sin. My failures as a man, your failures as people, and, and our sin rub up against each other and cause greater sin. That's what a broken and fallen world is about. That's what he's talking about, let men do their worst. If I have this humility and this burning love and a well-guided zeal and a single eye, let these men who are affecting me with their sin do their worst. And let devils, this Satan roaming around this world trying to deceive us, do your worst, Satan, because the Spirit is in me and I've connected with the Father and I will not be affected by your sin. And that, that's the, the second part of repentance, changing our mind, not just changing it away from the flesh, but changing it through connection with God. This is vital for us to come to grips with. So there is a call continually in Scripture that I want us to look at tonight to renew 
our mind. And, and as we look at Scripture, understand this, that Scripture is God's revelation to us of Himself and the maps to, of access to Him and the map to access to this full, abundant life. When we are left to our natural self, we will default to sin and engage our flesh. We must engage renewal of the mind. We must engage renewal of the mind to truly engage repentance and to truly engage Christ. Again, I'm going to say it again. I've said it three times already tonight. Repentance is not about being sorry. It's about changing our mind. So when we encounter scripture that talks about our mind and renewing of the mind, it's really a different way to say repentance. So we're going to look at two pieces of scripture that talk about renewing the mind. The first one, Romans 12, 2, very famous passage of scripture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. is an expounding of the word repentance. Don't conform to this world, but instead repent. Change your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is not something that we do once. It's something that happens all the time, over and over and over and over again. One of the, the biggest questions I got as a youth minister, and it still happens, is what how do I determine the will of God for my life? Repent. That's the answer that Romans 12, 2 is, is giving to us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. Another way to say repent, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The way to understand what the next step for our lives are is to engage Christ and disengage with our natural, sinful, fleshly lives renewing our mind, repenting. It's vital that we come to grips with this. It's vital that we practice this. It's vital that we practice this all the time, constantly, to understand, to, to repent, to change our minds. Ephesians 4. Skip a, a couple of books over to your right. More than a couple, like three. Ephesians 4, 22. Uh, it's going to be on the screen, too, if you don't want to flip. To put off your old self... I've been calling it the natural man, the, our natural bend, our, who we are, unaffected. That's our old self, which brings, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Just about every time the scripture talks about Satan, it's talking about how he's the deceiver. And, the, and as he, when he was the serpent in the garden, he was deceiving Eve. About scripture, looking for someone to deceive and and a deception is just, I'm going to make you think that this is great and you're going to want to get it. And it's we are deceived. Our desires deceive us. Think about that. Our natural man, who we are, unaffected, the desires that we deceive us. That is, you can just stop and think on the, the, the rabbit trails that that takes you down. That your natural desires deceive you. And that's what your natural desires, and they deceive you, they lead you to sin. And that's our, our mind are there that needs to be repented of consistently and constantly. John Gill, a commentator uh, from the 1800s, says this. Talking about the self here, the old self that Ephesians 4.22 talks about. It is a... Talking about his is the pronoun for the old self. His seat and a putting him down from his government. That's, a, that's an interesting 
phrase, statement there. The old self, putting off the old self, is putting down the old self's government. Forget about Congress and President and Supreme Court when you think about government. Just understand the government, what governs us, is what rules us. The old self governs us. It tells us what to do. We can't get in the car and go speeding down the law because down the street because the law says no. That governs us. We can't go kill somebody because that our laws say it governs us. There are natural laws within us. That is the thing that governs us. The old self is what governs us. And showing a no regard to his rule and dominion. I show no regard to the rule and dominion of the old self. That's what repentance and renewing of the mind and putting off the old self means. I do not pay attention to its government and dominion over my life and, and my actions, and I am no longer deceived by its desires. To his laws and lusts, making no provision for his support, and particularly not squaring the life and conversation according to his dictates and directions. Our old self, when we put off the old self, and we're going to see in just a second, it has to do with renewing our mind. In order to put off our old self, to be squared with not being controlled by our flesh has to do with renewing our mind. That comes in verse 23, verse 423. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Again, when we see renewal of the mind, it's another way to say repentance, a change of the mind. And be renewed by the spirit of your minds. That's how we put off the old self. Verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so I spent all that time talking about the old self versus the new self. And in Romans, it's talking about the context is the will of God. Romans 12, 2. If you renew your mind, you're going to be able to test and approve what is God's will. Here in Ephesians 4, the context of this mind renewal, laying off of the old self, Ephesians 4, Ephesians, generally speaking, is Paul's letter to a very influential church at a very influential time. The city of Ephesus is uh, an, an influential city in the world at this point, and Paul is writing just after Christ is resurrected to them, and they have just organized as a body of believers together. So this, we can treat Ephesians as Paul's letter to the church on how to be a church. You follow that? If we, that's why when we started here, North Church, we began preaching through Ephesians because it's Paul's directions for the church on how to be a church. Now, that's the big context. The subcontext, Ephesians 4, is Paul specifically talking to the church. Here's how to be unified as a church. Earlier in Ephesians 4, it says, this is how you operate through unity of the Spirit, through the bond of peace. And later, he expounds the way to operate as a church together to have unity of the Spirit is to continually always be renewing our minds. And, and here's, the, here's the, the big payoff, the big punchline for us here and now is to understand that every one of you, we all are in desperate need of mind renewal all the time. And if we acknowledge that about ourselves, how much more do we have to acknowledge that about everybody else in the room? Everybody here is in constant, complete need to constantly and completely renew their mind. And we rub up against each other with our sin and with our difficulties and our problems and our issues. And this is Paul's direction for the church to live unified. is to always be renewing your mind 
and always be allowing other people to need to be renewing their mind. And that's how we operate together as a body of believers. And how attractive is that to an unbelieving outside world? And how unattractive is it to see a church always fighting amongst itself, denominations fighting among themselves, and, and people, golly, there's six churches. You, you go down Howdershell, there's like six churches. I, I, oftentimes I drive down that road thinking, man, what does an unbeliever think about that? There's this church, that church. There's like within half a mile, there's six different churches. Why can't these Christians get along with each other? It's got to be unattractive to an unbelieving world to see that we can't unify ourselves together. And it's because we don't understand what it means to repent and what it means to understand that you need to repent. And not being sorry for your sin, renewing our mind, changing our mind, changing the way that we think. It is vital. In other words, repentance and renewal of the mind are essential for church health and essential for church growth. Renewing of our mind constantly and continually, beating this into our heads. As Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. We need to be continually beating this into our heads all the time. And it's vital for the health of a church and for the growth of a church. It's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4. The last point we'll make tonight. Flip over to Romans chapter 7. And this is huge for us. There is a war between your flesh and your spirit, and repentance is your weapon. Think about the whole of that. There is a war transpiring in your, your soul between your flesh and your spirit. And repentance is your weapon in that war. Romans This is Paul talking about this war. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Watch how many times in these, we're going to read Romans 7 and Romans 8. Watch the, the real subject of what Paul is talking about here is the mind. Put that in the context of, of what we know repentance to be as we're walking through this message tonight. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Or going on, my members, my flesh, who I am, my natural unaffected man, is at war with my mind. Which is to say that a transformed, repentant mind is not always going to choose, because of the war that's happening, is not always going to choose what God would have us to choose. We're going to choose sin at some point. That's what the fact that there's a war that's happening, but our renewal of our mind continually is our weapon for that. Continue on in verse 23. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Our bodies, our unaffected natural man, is drawing us to sin, deceiving us. Verse 24, this is beautiful, beautiful step one to guiding us to repentance. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. 
This, the repentant man, the unrepentant man, can't speak these words because his mind has not been transformed. He is still focusing, driving after these desires that deceive him. Oh, wretched man that I am. Step one to this change of mind. Oh, wretched man that I am. And understand, this is Paul. This is the guy who wrote more than half of the New Testament. This is the guy who is brilliant theologian, gave his life to, to starting churches, is responsible for thousands and thousands and thousands of followers of Christ. And is this is as near of a of a holy man as we've seen on the, the planet. He says, Oh wretched man that I am. Man that my my prayer for us uh, as I've studied this week and, and walked through this message and worked through this message and, and wrestled with it. Uh, and before I left my house today, it was in the back, my back bedroom praying through this message. And my, my prayer was that we would treat sin, listen closely, treat sin with the dignity that it deserves. Not that Sin is a dignified thing, but treat sin with how it deeply affects who we are and deeply affects our community. And I don't mean North County. I mean the North Church community. Our sin affects community. And how it affects our effectiveness as a body. My prayer is that, God, would you bring us to the point where where we don't rate our own particular personal sin on a 1 to 10 scale. We don't rate it as a 5. We really don't like it. We wish that we didn't have it, but it's not that big a deal. We don't treat it with with the respect that it deserves. But instead, would we rate it properly and have it affect us the way it affects Jesus Christ? You guys might have noticed, I just put it up there just briefly. It was in the midst of of walking through this portion of the sermon, a Facebook status that I had a couple of days ago, God, I wish my sin bothered me more. That's my prayer for all of us, that I wish our sin would bother us more. And I hope the the weight of that overwhelms you and crushes your shoulders, that you your sin does not bother you like it should. so that we might say, as Paul said in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. What do you think was walking, was going through the mind of Paul when he wrote these words? I'm thinking sweat and tears and struggle, and he probably took three days to write the next word because he was so in tune with the wretchedness of who he was. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Again, go back to 23. He's talking about his body, his members. The law of sin dwells them. He is governed and dictated. His action is dictated by the law of sin in his body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body that leads me to death? We'll talk in a second about what that word death means. But verse 25, he doesn't leave us there with 
wretched man in, in this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I serve the law of God with my mind. The battlefield of repentance and the battlefield of this process is right here. Your brain, your mind. That's what repentance is. That's why renewal of the mind is an exposition of this word repentance. Is to get through this. The law of God, I serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. There's a war happening in our bodies between our flesh and our minds. And repentance is our weapon. Flip over to Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, there's our word, minds, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. This is repentance. Romans 8.5. Our minds, the natural unaffected man's mind is focused on the flesh and gratifying its desires and it's deceitful and leads to death but those who have repented who have had their minds changed their ways of thinking changed they are divorced to this unaffected natural man's way of thinking and instead go to the spirit their minds are set on the things of the spirit Romans 8 6 for the mind for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace this is so ridiculously simple. I wish we were all nine years old. To forget about what we think we know and understand, do you want to die or do you want to have life and peace? Easy question. For the mindset on the flesh brings death. The mindset on the spirit brings life and peace. I wish we were nine so we could see it as black and white as that. But this nonsense world that we have to live in that brings, it affects us with its devils and with its men and with its sin, clouds us up to, to think that we can be deceived by our sin and, and somehow live the best of both worlds and end up rating our, our sin as a five instead of a ten and we, we mess around with it and we, we, we flirt with sin and we don't treat it with the respect that it deserves and we wind up setting our minds on the flesh and living lives filled with death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile to God. The relationship that you have. Think about a particular relationship that you have that you would categorize as hostile. Sometimes the relationship that I have with, with my wife is hostile. When we're angry at each other, anything that she says, I'm going to treat as that. And, and vice versa. And, and sometimes we have these relationships all over the planet. Sometimes they're with our parents. Sometimes they're with our friends. Sometimes they're with our spouses. Sometimes they're with our children. Sometimes they're with our boss. But understand, if you're hostile towards someone, nothing that they are going to be able to do is going to be able to correct that. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. God can't reach you. You've pushed him away. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, talking to the Christian, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. I want to go back to Romans 8.6 and talk about some of these specific words that are in here. For the mind, for the for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This word death, our minds immediately go to my heart doesn't work anymore, my brain doesn't work anymore, I'm not breathing, I'm dead. Put me in a casket, put me in the ground. That's death. There's, there's a hint of that in this Greek word, but ultimately that word means more about separation. Separation from a union that we are supposed to have. So this death is a separation of our bodies and our spirits. It's a separation of our, our spirit and our spirit with, with Christ. So this unrepentant mind is a separated, separated from God. It's, that's, that's what Paul is intending to communicate when, he's, when he communicates this word death, and which is why our ridiculous English language is nowhere near the Greek language because the Greek was reading this and understanding that he wasn't just meaning this person is dead and he's no longer alive. Submitting yourself to the flesh, setting your mind on the flesh, isn't just going to kill you, it's going to separate you from where you were intended to be. Does that make sense? Think of a divorce, the finality of a divorce. You are separated, you could say there's death there, you're separated from what was once brought together. That's the concept here that's being connotated with this word death. When we set our minds on the flesh, we are separated from where we were supposed to be. That's what this understanding of death means. But is life and peace. Those, that phrase, life and peace, comes together with this understanding of a union. Just like we talk about death and separation, life and peace is a union, bringing together. Imagine... Couples married, they're divorced, there's death to their marriage, they're separated from their marriage. This life in peace is a, a regrafting, a reunion of, we think of reunions like a park and the family together, a reunion, bringing together what once was together, bringing it back together, a reunion. This is what life in peace is about. This is the ultimate ramification of repentance, life and peace, reunion. And we understand that Christ did not come here to steal from us. That's what Satan did. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to bring life and bring life to its full. Have you ever sat down to a a hot meal and burned your taste buds off? I hate it because I really enjoy eating. It's fun. And so like there's like a week or so that you don't really taste food anymore. After you like, here's, here's where it happened to me. My, uh, I've told you guys a story about when I was in, uh, when I was a sophomore and I had to lose a lot of weight to wrestle uh, just for this one big tournament and I didn't make weight. I lost like seven pounds in one night, which is like almost 10% of my body weight. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I missed it by half a pound after. You would think, I'm, I'm so close percentage-wise. Man, let me, let me in. 
It wouldn't. Oh, I hadn't eaten in like 36 hours. I hadn't taken a drink in like 12 hours. And so I was like this shell of a 104-pound kid. Uh, and my mom took me to Peroni's to eat. And I was so excited. I hadn't eaten in so long. And it was going to be so great, so exciting. I sat down to a large hamburger, pepperoni, bacon pizza, and it was fantastic. It come right out of the oven. And remember, I haven't eaten in 36 hours, and I popped that in and just, oh, just burned the top of my mouth and burned my taste buds all off. I didn't taste for a week. And I hadn't eaten in like 36 hours, so I'm really, really hungry, but I can't taste this beautiful heaven-sent pizza, and I, I, I fully stand by Heaven sent. That pizza was heaven sent. At least that bite that I got the taste was. And so I go a week without being able to taste after having gone 36 hours without being able to eat. And that next bite of cooled down Peroni's pizza after this week of not being able to taste was beautiful. It was rich. It was amazing. And I, I had waited in great expectation for this taste. Goofy metaphor is, is exactly what Scripture is talking about. You and I were created to live in union with God, to taste the fullness of what it means to be in relationship with Him. In this world, we walk around being deceived by each other and being deceived by Satan to chasing after tastes that don't taste. Repentance is the vehicle, the avenue that we walk down, this changing of our mind is the avenue that we walk down to truly taste the, the fullness and the richness of relationship with this God. Pre-fall, Adam and Eve experienced this. After we give up our lives and we are dead, we will taste of this. We have never tasted like we will taste. And this is the process of the renewing of our minds. And it's a process that has to happen all the time, over and over, continually. And this is why we have to understand truly what it means to repent. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the life that his life and death and resurrection brings to us. I thank you that we get to taste you on a small scale now and the promise and the hope of the taste that we get to come, Father. I pray that you would affect our minds for this understanding of repentance and what it means, God, and you would encourage our souls and our hearts to repent on a daily, even hourly basis, Father, that you would encourage us to change our minds, to set our minds on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of the flesh, Father. I pray that you would allow us to, to wield this great weapon of repentance in this great war for the, the affections of our minds. And we would be able to, to wield it with, with, uh, with great ability, God. That you would empower us, encourage us, strengthen us to do this, God. And that we would truly understand and practice repentance for the sole purpose 
of tasting you, God. To repeatedly tapping into the joy of our union with you, God. I thank you so much for Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for your scripture that brings us these words and these thoughts to to guide us into your presence, God. I pray that we we would have our sin bother us proportionally, Father. God, please break our hearts to that. God, we find it real easy to break our hearts to the sins of people who are in our lives and how they affect us, God. But would you break our own hearts of our own sin, God, and cause us to renew our minds continually, unconditionally, Father. Even in a small church like this one, God, we rub against each other and annoy each other, Father, with our sin. God, But would you change us, please, God? Show us how to repent. Fill us with courage and strength to do it, God. God, the the beauty of this life is at stake. God, the, the effectiveness in the community of this church is at stake. May we fully understand that. And may our lives reflect the greatness of all that's at stake with this understanding of of what it means to repent and how to repent and the gift that comes from it. I thank you so much for Jesus Christ who makes it possible to come into your presence. It's by his perfect and holy name that I pray. Amen.